0: Hey, and welcome to The Board Game Triangle. It's our fifth episode, and we are so excited to be coming to you after we've officially started publishing on Spotify and all those great podcast places. I am Sarah.
1: I'm Ken. And this is Tim.
0: All right. So from those tiny little sound bites of our names, <laughs> you can probably tell who we are. And that's one of the things we noticed once we we started publishing on all this the podcasting platforms but we are excited to come back to you today and be talking about the very broad category of games we like in various categories so before we jump into that i did want to like kind of do a vibe check how are you guys feeling we put everything on like spotify and podcasts and stuff what are the what are y'all feeling?
2: Yeah, I think it's very exciting that we have 10 or 11 downloads so far. And I am very sure that all the other people who told me they're definitely going to download will do so. I'm sure <laughs> we're not 50% of it, right? Definitely
0: not. <laughs> well,
2: no, it's exciting to be, uh, be out there, have something actually uh, published and in the world. I think definitely sub-perfect. As we got to episodes you know, three and four, now episode five, we, we, we've achieved true perfection. But oh, yeah, definitely. one could use a little bit more polish, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think it. I think it's interesting on the things you pick up, just w- going back and listening to your recording. And, and Ken, of course, he did the editing for it, so he had to listen to it way more than us. But we got to listen to the the primed and polished version of it. And even then, you still kind of pick up things that you would like to do differently. So I can, I can only imagine after ten, twenty, fifty episodes. I I can't imagine that goes away.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think you're always going to be fine-tuning stuff. I know everyone can breathe a sigh of relief that I am ordering a better microphone and and stand set up so I won't be popping my peas as much. <laughs> and but... I'll be
1: sitting a, a consistent distance away from my microphone, and I'll be trying not to <laughs> talk it as much. So, <laughs> uh, so grating. Oh my god, who is this guy?
0: All these amazing things that we're doing for you, our audience member, oh, just so you can listen to us while you're cutting your grass. <laughs> All right. That might, that might actually
1: be what they're doing while they're, while they're doing this. I do
2: kind of feel that after the gap we had from recording the first set to now, we
1: may have forgotten what we were doing, and I guess we'll find out here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It took a couple of weeks yeah, off. For, for the viewer.
1: Yeah. It, it's been a few weeks. You know, some of us have been very busy. Uh, just to kind of share some fun personal info, I got to actually travel uh, out of the country for the first time ever. So that was fun. It's, it's nice to be back. There.
0: How was Prague?
1: Prague is super cool, especially when you have people who live there who get to show you around. So that is it was a really good time. It's really fun when you have someone who actually grew up there as well. And they basically just show you, here's where I went to school. Here's where I smoked cigarettes around that corner. Here's my favorite <laughs> bar. Except he says that like five or 10 times through the entire <laughs> through the entire journey at every you know, bar.
0: And now you've got five or six more favorite bars for yourself. You can say I have That's a true. favorite bar in Prague. <laughs> I would definitely
1: recommend going again now. It, the place is incredible, especially if you haven't really been anywhere in Europe. Definitely recommend it.
0: All right. Prague's travel industry hit us up for some sponsorship
1: (laughs) that's right that's right hey you know we got to scrape the bottom of the barrel get whatever money we can all right
0: yeah you know Iceland's teaching horses how to type on a giant keyboard to send your out-of-office message written by a horse in Iceland but Prague's got our podcast
1: (laughs) what is that real (laughs)
0: That's a real thing. Yes, they oh, trained oh these God. giant Icelandic horses to type on a really big keyboard so you can set your out-of-office message. It's is cool. that where
1: our script came from? Is that why we have no idea what we're talking about? Yeah, that,
0: that's our outline. is actually written ah, by an yeah. Icelandic horse. Hmm. Sweet. Okay, so, so let's hop in because I feel like This is probably going to be a a pretty long episode. We might actually split Mm -hmm. it into multiples because we're just talking about, like, games we like in the different categories of games. So, like, we've talked about different types of games and, like, briefly what they were. But, like, let's really jump in and talk about specific games that we like in those categories. And I'm going to start us off because... I listened to our first episode, obviously, when it came out on Spotify, and one of the things that came up is that Tim hates RPGs or role-playing type games. And I just really want to...
1: I'm triggered by you just mentioning that acronym. I just really
0: (laughs) want to dive into this, because I've probably watched mm, 60 hours of Dimension 20 in the past two weeks, (laughs) so it's... All that I can do not to make my like hello at the beginning of this intro like their hello on that show. So, like if you notice that I was weird on that, it's because I've watched so much Dimension Twenty. All I wanted to do was say it like he says it.
2: Kim, you were very adamant in that episode as well that you meant role-playing style board games. So does mm-hmm. this mean that you do like things like D D and other full strict role-playing games, and just not the board game style? Do you have no experience with those? What Is your question on that?
1: Yeah, I've got a little bit of experience with uh, with with just a D anD D style board games. I would. It's really funny because I feel like it's right up my alley. You know, if if I were to do it, I would be very rigorous. Uh, I want like hardcore inventory management. You know, I want that that nitty gritty detail. And there's that part that I'm like, surely, you know, I would enjoy this. But then there's also, there's so much that you're at the mercy of when it comes to the Dungeon Master and how good they are at what they do. And I'm not really sure, I've never, I can't say that I've ever really been properly driven by like a, a Dungeon Master. You know, we've always kind of done, I would say some fairly lighthearted, like uh, D&D light sort of scenarios where... <laughs> You know, it gives you kind of the the vibe and feel of D&D, but, like, you're not really being strict about, like, you know, your inventory or whatever. You know, you, you're kind of just going through an adventure. There's a story. Um, there's items that you can collect and things like that. But, like, other than that, like, there's not a huge focus on, like, hit points and, you know, it's it's fairly hand-wavy on those sort of things. Okay. And I can definitely... Yeah, I just felt like it was lacking. It was just lacking certain parts, I, I, I guess, and I'm not sure what.
2: Yeah, I could definitely run something for you or we can bring in someone else maybe to run a session at at some point for Mm -hmm. for the group of us and get a better feel. And this primarily is not a uh, a podcast. It is about role-playing games and uh, definitely not a live play podcast, but we can do that and have a uh, a follow-up at some point when you've had more of that kind of uh, experience. Mm -hmm. But we're looking at board game kinds of things know that we we have a variety of games we've had here i think sarah you'd mentioned that your your early board game experience was all with uh with talisman which very much is a role-playing style game
0: yeah so it's i mean i used to when people in college would ask me what i was doing on my weekend i'd be like oh I'm playing this game called talisman and they would look at me with a blank look and i'd be like it's kind of like D D light you it, it's a board so there's a You're playing the same, it's like D&D, but you're playing the same map every time (laughs) with the same obstacles, and there are only a few places that you have to roll dice to figure out an outcome. So it's like a very toned down version. So you don't have to have a dungeon master who's running the board. You've got like, you all have your classic characters, right? So you can be a bard, you can be a minstrel. Actually, I think those are the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) but you know what i mean you can be like a a warrior that kind of stuff so you're still like rolling dice but you're more moving around a board instead of moving around like an actual dungeon map so Mm -hmm. it's it takes a lot of the hard work part the preparation part out of it but you can still get as into it as you want to as far as like the role-playing part goes my group it depended on how drunk we were, how how into that we got. So I think,
1: honestly, as I kind of ruminate on it a little bit more, uh, like it, it's still fairly hard to articulate what it is about it that just doesn't doesn't hit me well. But I think part of it is just like it it feels like that there's a lot of wiggle room and. And there's a, there, the positive part of it is you can be kind of creative in D&D to help solve solutions. But I'm not really sure what that line of like just creativity and absurdity is. You know, I, I can't figure out where that divide is and, and how much the DM really is allowed to just kind of like let things slide. I mean, maybe that's supposed to be kind of the fun of it. Like you and the team or the gang come up with like some ridiculous solution to some sort of problem. And it's kind of just up to the DM's discretion as to whether or not that's a valid solution, you know, and... I'm not sure if that's how it's supposed to run. I, don't, I, and I haven't really honestly taken an honest effort to discover what that is like. But that has been my limited experience is it just feels like it could be really wacky and zany. And sometimes I'm not even sure if I'm in the mood to like do that. Sometimes I just want to think about a problem and just like not like think about it in really outlandish ways, I guess. I, I, I yeah. need to know what the rules are. You know? So that really
2: is something that varies very widely based on the table you're at, the group you are, as you mentioned, the DM. Back in the early days of d people would send in rules questions to the publisher and have the publisher overrule their DM about things that happened at the table. So things did used to be a lot stricter in terms of what the normal play style at a table was. Today, if you're kind to play something that is... In D&D, the Adventures League or Pathfinder also has their organized play session. Those organized play kind of things, you will go to a game store and the game masters there are required to be running it fairly strictly with preset uh, storylines and consequences and outcomes for things that you might do at the table. So that might be more of what kind Mm -hmm. of gaming you're interested in experiencing there, Tim. Very possible. A A lot of, particularly when you look at a lot of the live play kind of stuff that's going on and you look at what happens with Dimension 20 or other lively mm-hmm. sessions are happening they do tend to very much lean toward using it as uh, largely just a framework in which to do improv storytelling adventures mm-hmm. and in that kind of a scenario they're not as you mentioned tracking ammo tracking uh, they will track strictly generally the hit points and damage it's done capabilities but there's a lot of flexibility that the game masters will allow for just making something up and letting it happen rule of cool
1: now i'm gonna be my own enemy here mm-hmm. because so i just outlined you know what i and uh, admittedly in my limited experience what i take issue with or have felt like hasn't really hit me well with uh doing like a D role playing sort of situation so what perfectly helps frame that and that's a board game like yep you have rules right around like the RPG element of it. And that's kind of what I would just described right now. You know, I want something that is more contained and confined, but even then it just doesn't hit me because now I feel like there's just not enough extra stuff to go along with it. Like if you think about a video game, you've got items upon items upon items that you can do. Like you've got crazy skill trees and things like that. And so I just don't think a board game can really compete with that experience and it's not to say that they they have to but for whatever reason there's that particular element of it where I feel like it's not scratching that itch that I want you know I feel like I'm just getting a character started like real like realistically in a board game and now it's done you know like I haven't really gotten to really see the you know the full storyline you know so to speak
2: now yeah. the fans of role playing style board games that are listening to this are Definitely wondering if you've played, you know, current top contenders on Board Game Geek of Gloomhaven or Gloomhaven Mm -hmm. Jaws of the Lion, the ones that at this point have really, you know, set a standard for that. Have have you played those current uh, style games or or, or those current classic games that people love Mm -hmm. and play?
1: No, but I I definitely want to. I mean, it's definitely on my short list, but that's also one of those things to where until Jaws of the Lion, like it was pretty hard to commit to something like that. Uh, It's fairly expensive, you know, pretty big game. Yep, The shelf shelf space is valuable.
0: See, that's like one of the games that Morgan has expressed direct interest in. Like he really wants to play Gloomhaven. So maybe Mm. I'll expand my collection from like four games to five. And one of them is a giant box of Gloomhaven. But here's
1: what's fascinating about Gloomhaven though. I've heard a lot of accounts of people who basically say they love the digital version. And that the physical version is too fiddly. Which... Mm like gets exactly to my point of it should have just been a board game or sorry it should have just been a video game so that's right?
0: i think i think you're drawing some conclu like some comparisons that are completely apt like if you think about a session of combat in D&D it is essentially the same as a a fight that you might come into in World of Warcraft but instead of your character on the screen slashing and the damage popping up above their head you're rolling dice they're rolling dice and it takes like 18 times longer than it does on the screen And you don't have the visuals you just have your imagination mm-hmm, but at the same mm-hmm. time like so you it's that same mechanic but it's limited by the fact that you're like doing math you're rolling dice you're like well wh- whereas the computer game just does it for you it's the same like probabilities mm-hmm. but it's doing the math for you and just like automatically deducting it from you instead of like you marking it on your sheet but you're limited in what you can do in that. Like if I'm in a battle in a D and D game, I'm like, I can think of 18 different ways to approach something. And you see that a lot with like people who are really, really good at it. Like Dimension 20, like they're doing crazy things. And the DM is just like, I'm whoa, like, that's crazy. I'm going to give you advantage on that. Cause it sounds really cool. Like, so I think it's, it depends on what you want. If you want something that's mm-hmm. like quick and gonna just do all the stuff for you, but you're kind of limited in what you can do, there's that D and D just I think it scratches a different itch. It's oh, a very definitely, similar definitely. mechanic, but scratches a different itch.
1: Yeah, I don't want to invalidate the joy that people get out of that because they just very much focus on different things, right? Like it 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 makes it to where you don't have to manage like some people get a lot of joy out of like physically getting in a role to die and like think of a clever way of overcoming something that like they don't want to be confined in these stupid, very boring and rigid rules. You know, they, they want to have more freedom and I think that yeah. there's total validity to that.
0: And I think there's also like a huge relational aspect to it too. Like to like yes, uh, Ken absolutely. was talking about TI, like you have to spend a lot of time with these people and you're like dealing with them and all that. I think there's, A lot to be said about the social aspect of it. Like, our group, we're like planning on getting together to play. We all live on different sides of the country now, but like, our DM made us all dice rolling boxes. So when we're playing online, we can hear if somebody's re rolling something that they shouldn't be, (laughs) you know? And like, (laughs) so we're like getting together over New Year's this year, like at a cabin in the woods, and we're not planning on anything else. We're just going to play DD the whole time. Like, that. I guess it's just the social aspect for me and like you heard just it here, folks. It
1: sound is the original anti-cheat.
0: Yeah. I would
2: definitely say that is a big part of my feeling about board games in general. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know there are some people who will play board games solo and that can be a great experience for those who like doing that. Personally, mm-hmm. if I'm going to be playing alone, I typically would prefer to play a computer game with the challenge and math and everything being done by the computer when I want to play a board game, it is because I want to spend time with people over a table, looking at them in the face as we play the game and do the things we could do. Even, you know, the number of the games we play, we could play them purely as a digital implementation of them, all looking at the computer screen at the same time while we play. But sitting down at a table and playing a game together is a really cool experience with friends, with people who are becoming friends, with uh, people who just enjoy the way in which their brains work and the ideas they come up with. So doing that with role-playing games is is a great way to do that. Doing other kinds of games is really good with that. But that is the reason why I personally don't tend to do a lot of solo one-off games as a board game, because I would rather go do it on my computer at that point.
1: And, and to one play, of, you know, to play devil's advocate, you know, I, I really am glad that you brought up those points because I also struggle with the same idea of like, well, okay. So you don't really like the, you don't really like that it's not scratching that itch enough. And you basically are pawning off that, like, you know, once it reaches a certain complexity, you might as well make it a video game. You could make the same argument for a lot of other board games. It doesn't absolutely. have to just be RPG, right? Like the, there are plenty of games that are way more complex, like Civilization Five, for example, which is yep. like a big like you know obviously that's you know usually still considered a solo game just because of just the the time that it takes to play it uh, but obviously you can play that multiplayer but that you you could easily make that argument that you should make tons of other board games, just video games, and it is about the social part. I think really what it what it might be. Is that the other games can still give me enough of scratch, enough of that like itch in terms of like, I want a hard problem to solve. And you can still get a lot of satisfaction from having, you know, a fairly hard problem to solve in a small amount of time. Whereas it feels like the RPG space requires a bit more time to really scratch a similar itch. Hmm
0: we are the itchiest group of people. Oh. <laughs> we have so many itches. Oh, so many
1: itches. I should probably get that looked at. I think that yeah.
2: really kind of transitions us to our next category with social deduction games being a category that is absolutely, well, I guess it isn't entirely one that is done in person. Cause you do have uh, some social deduction games that have become really big online, but Classically, uh, we have things like werewolf mafia that a group of friends will get together, put rolls into a hat, pull it out, and play a game in the room together. And now there's a lot of board games around these kind of mechanics, but it very much is classically just a thing that would happen at big gatherings of people in high school and junior high when I was uh, growing up.
0: Oh my gosh, we would play mafia anytime we had downtime. In the band room, specifically, it was always the band kids playing Mafia, and for some reason, I I had fun, but that I just hate social deduction games. I say that knowing that we're going to talk about some games that I really love, but generally not my favorite category. Not my ban- favorite category. Your band room at all. was
1: way more interesting. See, our addiction was Egyptian Rat Screw. Okay, <laughs> all you need is a simple simple fifty two card deck and just a reason to slap the shit out of each other all right it's great it's great <laughs> yeah. i also
2: really had a a dislike for mafia when playing it in junior high and high school myself it did often seem like people would eliminate me first either because they didn't like me or because they're worried that i was going to be able to figure things out I, I don't really know i prefer to think of it as they were afraid of me but it's more likely <laughs> they just didn't like me but That was definitely the issue with a lot of the early social deduction games is they do have that player elimination where those first few players out are just sitting out for the entire game and can't really participate very much.
0: Yeah, maybe that's that's it. Maybe it's like a social anxiety piece to it that I really dislike. There is like a social element. So if you've got that social anxiety at all, then it can be really uncomfortable. Oh, even th- these games are like, impossible
1: for, for people like that sometimes, you know? Like even playing
0: like a super topical, funny game of Secret Hitler at a bar with your friends, I still like, mm-hmm. ugh, it just makes me cringe on the inside.
2: For everyone who's not aware, a social deduction game is one where people have secret roles that they're trying to hide from the group. And Secret Hitler, it, you know, will be that you are Hitler or a Nazi, in Werewolf, it was that you were werewolves. Mafia, it would be that you were the mafiosa. And over the course of the game, you tend to do a sequence of votes where either the side that are the collaborators manage to kill off or harm the, the majority group or the majority identifies and prevents them from causing harm. What it requires in all cases is people become very good at not revealing what their actual role is what their motivation is be able to stay with a straight face uh no i'm not a werewolf why would you think i'm a werewolf just because the last person who accused me of being a werewolf got eaten last night
1: yeah it's basically uh how well can you poker face and for how yep. long yep and <laughs> not not all of them not all of them are that way like we uh we have kind of like a list of games that we were kind of deciding to talk about and part of the fun was figuring out what categories things belong to and Mysterium's kind of a weird one where it kind of has social deduction vibes but it's it's in the sense of like trying to get in the head of another person i guess and mm-hmm. kind of seeing things from their angle like i i feel like that also can kind of touch upon a similar similar vibe of the category but not completely yep
0: yeah so i think that's actually we're going to have a side a side panel for this whole discussion and that is what on Earth category does this board game fit into? So we've got we've got Mysterium under Social Deduction. I'm gonna fact check us and see what Board Game Geek has it. Okay, Ooh, we're correct. All right, all right. Deduction is the number <laughs> one category for it.
1: Yeah, let's go. We're not yeah. All right, all no. Right. And th- wait, this is not scripted. It's Sarah is just looking stuff up. We we kind of just broadly <laughs> put them in categories. So
0: trying to. Type quietly.
1: (laughs) I would definitely say that my
2: favorite in this category is uh, the Resistance Avalon. I like it better than the original Avalon because I like the King Arthur uh, flavor and art that it has. And this is a game that a group of friends and I played every time we were together for probably about three years. So we played this game dozens and dozens of times over the t- course of time, we were playing it. The meta switched from anybody who's voting for the first mission is clearly a collaborator to anybody who's voting for the first mission is clearly, you know, a loyalist to back to uh, you're, you're a collaborator if you vote for the first mission and then not for the second. None of this ever actually meaning anything, but just becoming the metas of the group, where every vote anyone ever made would get intense scrutiny because we be like, okay, well, in our last several. Ca- Experiences when we passed the first mission, it was a failure. So, if you're voting for the first mission, you're probably a, you're probably a bad person, right? We did end up with a couple people in the group becoming very, very frustrated with the meta and the accusations, and feeling like no matter what they did or said, they would always be getting a lots of pressure. But that was just what we would target at everybody all the time. So, See, those who were enjoying it were having a lot of fun. Those who were not ended up eventually banning the game from being played anymore in that group
0: just hearing you describe that just makes me like (laughs) i would need like three shots to be okay with playing that game sarah
1: sarah sarah no 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 see i've got a comfort blanket for you it's coming for you all right okay so one of my favorites in the social deduction category is sheriff of nottingham yes now what is great about sheriff of nottingham is it really limits the lying space all right Mm -hmm. you're lying about something so innocent And so fun. Like, it's just you're hiding things in a little leather pouch and you're saying there is X amount of items in this bag. Wait,
0: wait, wait. Is this the game that we played that one time that we were at Atomic Fern in Durham? Yes. R.I.P. Atomic Fern. Oh, that was the best board game bar.
1: Yeah. Rip.
0: I do remember that. That was a lot. It it was fun. It was Mm -hmm. a lot of fun. Mm hmm. I wouldn't have chosen to play it. It was a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> See, this is this is why you trust this is why you for some reason keep coming back to us. I don't know why you do, but it's maybe because once in a while we show you a board game that's fun. But Sheriff of Nottingham is great because you're just you're hiding f- fruits and chickens in in a bag and you're just saying, "Well, yeah, there's there's uh three of these in the bag." And everyone gets to take turns uh basically asking the other person if that's really the case or not, you know? And, you know, if you're, you're also willing to slide some money to bribe someone to just be like, you know, this is good, right? Um, like, I love how just it's, it's a very easy thing to explain, very easy thing to teach. And it makes it to where, like, people who maybe are a little bit more socially awkward, like, we all have to lie about the exact same small thing. You know, and the stakes are so small. Like everyone's laughing and having a good time, whether it was true or not. You know, like you, you don't feel like you don't feel bad if you were caught. You know, it's it's just funny. You know, Uh, I I do like how innocent and uh, just charming the whole thing is. Like the theme of it is is just fun. Mm,
0: It still just makes (laughs) me. If I saw that come up on the social deduction category specifically, come up on the calendar. I would be like <laughs> so sorry. I'm sick.
1: <laughs> okay, okay. So to that end then, Sarah, how do you tolerate Twilight Imperium?
0: As far as what? Well, I
1: mean, it's it's in a similar category of you you there's a lot of interaction and and TI is you've got bluffing in TI, for sure. You are you're categorizing Twilight Imperium as a social deduction game here, Tim. That's right. What? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right here now. Look it up right now.
0: All right? Actually, hold on. I am going to look that up on Board Game Geek. We're sidebarring this.
1: I just laid the gauntlet. Come at me. Okay. I would
2: assume that is much more of an area control 4X style game than it is a... Oh, look at me. It belongs in a
0: single box. Look at my (laughs) No, no. These always have multiple categories that they fall into. Let's see. That's right.
1: That's right. I I, I do think that there is like a social deduction aspect to this. You know, there's a lot of subterfuge going on. All right. I will will admit
2: the game I just lost of Twilight Imperium last night, I lost because I didn't realize that the person whose home system I was attacking had as a secret objective a card that when he lost a plant in his home system would give him a point, which was his 10th point, winning him the game in the. middle of our action phase because we were playing online and I was not able to read him. Uh-huh. Afterward, uh-huh. all the other players were saying, oh, well, you couldn't have known. I was like, I think if we'd been playing in person, I probably would have noticed the gloatingness about him as I activated his system and would not have done that. Okay. But we were playing online, so I missed that bluff. Sarah, what's the verdict? I need
0: the to The verdict is in. So it's not the first category that it's under. So civilization mm-hmm. is fine. the first That's category. Acceptable. Then economic than exploration but the fourth one not deduction but negotiation which i think okay. uh, i think falls under the same uh, kind then, of yeah,
1: all right all right
0: but therein lies the issue like it's not i'm not deducing necessarily what everyone i mean to a certain extent you're always deducing what everyone's doing in ti but I my communications sad. with so people you are in
1: every board game then right Right.
0: i I also don't really play factions in TI that lie <laughs> and I don't play factions that manipulate I All am right, not got a, good we've
1: got another topic then what is the most lyingest faction in Twilight? Imperium?
0: I mean I think manipulative <laughs> is pretty I think that's the Hakan they're they're definitely mm-hmm. like running the board you know you've got to make deals.
2: My Hikon are always there exclusively to help everyone to win by making my Hakon richer and more successful so we win the game. I don't
1: Ken know. is Empe- a fantastic. Empyrean is incredibly manipulative.
0: Okay. Okay. So let's not turn the whole podcast uh, into TI. All right. All right. All right, all right fine. That's but fine. I'll say that the intent of the communication socially is different. In a game like TI versus a social deduction game. And again, it's one of those things when you have social anxiety, like I can tell Mm -hmm. you that it makes me cringe on the inside to think about playing the sheriff of Nottingham, but once I'm playing it, it's fine. It's fun. I'm enjoying Mm -hmm. it, but thinking about it beforehand, I would probably tap out and not go.
1: (laughs) Hold on. I'm going to come back around one more time to the social deduction aspect, because I think in TI, it's very easy for somebody to get on, you know, get get on this huge tirade about how they're not in the running whatsoever. And that is just a giant like that is totally a thing of like social deduction of like you try to spell out your your sob story of why, you know, it couldn't possibly be me. You know, like here's reason X, Y and Z, you know, like to me, it just like they, they have that overlap, I guess. It's is kind of what I'm getting
0: at. It definitely has elements of social deduction, but that's not the only thing that's going for it.
1: Definitely not. I would not put it in social deduction as, like, the first category. And, like, Mysterium's they...
0: another one that, like, it's it's social deduction, but there's other stuff going on. You're not, like, lying to people it's about it. Like it's
1: social deduction light, you know? I mean, the ghost can't even talk to you, man. It's a collaborative <laughs> social deduction yeah, game. Yeah, it's collaborative Mysterium social. is. I would
2: say the most cutthroat social deduction game that I'm aware of is called Dead Last. When Dead Last, you look around the circle of people, you decide which number of one of the players that you want to play. Whichever number you play, that is the person you're trying to kill that round. If you fail to vote with the majority, you die. If you are the target of the majority, you die. Unless you realize that you are the target and then you put your own number down, at which point you have to pick one of the people who tried to kill you to
1: kill. I want to quantify have- for the viewer right now the look of disgust on Sarah's face as Ken described this.
0: <laughs> I just, I want to curl up into a ball and cease to exist hearing that description. <laughs> that I sounds like friend. the
1: worst game. <laughs> Sarah's like, I elect to kill myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Tapping out. Nope. I, I have a
2: friend who playing that game was absolutely unbeatable because anytime we would try... Well, initially she would put together the best alliances to kill anybody who was a threat to her. So that was huge to begin with. Then if you managed to put together an alliance non-verbally looking around the room, flashing cards, whatever, to target her, she would always know and would always defend herself. So it was entirely impossible to kill her at this game. I think we played five times in a row, and she won every single time. No, that nah, is man, a level of nah. social deductiveness that was very, very telling, that she could read people that well and know that clearly what was going on. For myself, I don't tend to do that great at social deduction games. My favorite experience with uh, the Resistance Avalon was a game in which I outed myself as being the primary target that the uh, assassins were trying to get right out the beginning at the very uh, uh, start of the round. I told them I was Merlin. They didn't believe I was Merlin because why would anybody who was Merlin actually out themselves like that? Got to the very end of the round. All they have to do is pick Merlin and they win the game. They pick someone else because I bluffed that I was not Merlin the entire game by telling them that I was in fact Merlin. (laughs) That was (laughs)
1: Now that was- and and, the, and those are the high highs that you can experience with social yep. production games for sure. Yeah, um, but as, as we've outlined here in this discussion, it definitely takes a you know. In, in wrapping up here, it definitely yep. takes a specific type of person to probably enjoy the sort of these sorts of games. In general, they probably do cater more often than not to people who actually maybe don't play board games as often. Yes, uh, they're usually safer bets for things like that. Um, but, uh, and, and is there any other honorable mentions before we maybe move on to the next topic? Hmm. I think I mine nothing. would probably be, uh, um, Deception Murder in Hong Kong. Yep. That one's fantastic. I definitely recommend Absolutely. checking it out. Uh, mostly because it, it does kind of have like a cooperative element. Well, I mean, some of, some, uh, social, de- de- social deduction games have a cooperative element to it, but. Uh, It's also fun just to see a bunch of pictures. It basically feels like Clue in the sense that, like, you have, like, all these different components that you can look at. And, like, you can just come up with these outlandish murder stories that everyone just has fun, like, piecing together. And there's just... There's very rarely enough clues for you to really fully figure it out. So it's always still, like, a guess at the end whether or not um, you've actually figured out who the person was and what weapon and what room, you know, that sort of thing. So... That's really fun also. It usually you can get people into it really easily if uh you just kind of, you know, say it's like the, it's like a better version of Clue and you'll feel right at home, you know, jumping right into it. Uh another honorable mention from in in my opinion.
2: Yep.
0: Sweet. So let's let's go to a different um category that doesn't make me want to crawl out of my skin. <laughs> let's let's talk about work replacement. We're gonna jump from like my favorite to my least favorite to my second favorite. <laughs> so we're talking work replacement, resource management, and I think we all agree that the number one game in this category for us is probably Dune Imperium. What are we
1: thinking? Ooh. See, now we're now we're dabbling into dangerous territory because uh. We are now like, so this kind of reverts back to kind of what we dabbled in a little bit with our previous discussion about where the hell do some of these games belong? And some of the newer games definitely are, uh, they're playing with fire. You know, they're trying to find what various combinations of mechanics can I put in one game and have it actually make sense. And I think Dune Imperium is the quintessential, like, guys, I figured out this awesome combo of different mechanics. Because it's got worker placement, it's got deck building, and it's also got a little bit of area control in it as well. Um, it, it just finds a way of doing a little bit of everything, but also beautifully mingling them to where it just like it just flows like like a well-oiled machine. Uh, I, I have so many great things to say about it. Is it the best worker placement game? Maybe not, but in terms of having Multiple categories gluing together well, I think it is the quintessential like title to look at.
2: Yeah. For for me, Dune Imperium is the only worker placement that gets a 10 out of 10 from me on BoardGameGeek. What I love about Imperium. Yeah. What I love about Dune Imperium is that it's a deck builder worker placement that is constantly making you struggle when you want to play a card between playing that card for the worker placement or the effect. When you're buying a card, you are constantly having to agonize over whether or not to buy the card that gives you the combo effect you want or buying the card that lets you place your worker in future rounds where you will need to, to build your engine properly. And as a worker placement, it squeezes that decision space so much more than even any other worker placements in my experience, because you are always having to make the judgment about making the play now to get that position you need or saving your cars to do the combo you need. And then potentially missing that worker placement it further tightens that decision space in a way that is unique in my experience with other worker placements so yes it does do that by comboing with deck building but in doing so i think finds a a really impressive sweet spot between those two categories
0: yeah so i just looked it up on board game geek because i was curious because this brings in so many things i'm not even looking at category because the categories are like movie novel based political whatever mechanisms (laughs) it starts with card play conflict resolution the second one is like deck bag and pool building so that the very last one on this list of like 20 mechanisms in this game is worker placement (laughs) Really? I don't know if they're I don't know if they're ranked like this is in order of how important they think it is in the game, but they actually have hmm. worker placement very low on this list.
2: They're alphabetical.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Aha. Thank you. Thank you so much for that.
1: Oh, wait, wait. Does that mean that deception is. Uh... Oh, no.
0: Oh, oh no. <laughs> my goodness.
1: It's all a lie.
0: Wow. We're gonna we're gonna add that to the list of things that most people could deduce very quickly.
2: <laughs> I can edit that out for you, Sarah. We can just leave our viewing audience.
1: No, that's little... staying in. <laughs>
0: that's that's, you know what? That's canon. That's that's in there. Yeah, that's the... <laughs> I All do right. not know what alphabetical order looks like i mean
1: if you're not looking for it it may not be obvious
0: no i made a whole thing about how it was the last on the list because it starts with a w (laughs) that's okay okay okay. it is in there as work replacement though Hmm. okay so i want it has a mechanism of called take that (laughs) what does that mean
2: Take that is the mechanism where you play things at another player to be able to block them or stop them from doing things. The mm-hmm. most classic in that kind of a thing would be something like Munchkin, where you are often playing cards to block the person who is getting close to winning from being able to proceed. But it's really a mechanism where someone will be at 9 out of 10 points or, or whatever is, is close to winning, and the entire table just sits there and starts pelting them with things mm-hmm. that hurt mm-hmm. them and prevent them from being
1: able to move forward. It's kind of like, it. it's almost like something that is a lot more nefarious or direct in nature to where, you know, let's say for example, in Twilight Imperium, I have an action card that says like, I'm going to blow up your space dock, you know, yep. like that is a lot more active or direct than say, for example, I know Sarah wants to take this spot. I'm going to take it instead, you know, like it's. Yeah, it can. Maybe you could quantify that as take that kind of, but I, I I view it a little different. Okay, I would definitely say
2: that a take that would be like, yeah, I'm going to destroy your space dock, kind of a card in Twilight Imperium. It's a direct harm thing that you do to block someone or harm them in a very direct, often frustrating or painful way.
0: Mm-hmm. So, okay, this is. I know that like we've talked about how I'm more of a casual person. You guys kind of refute that because you're like, oh, you play TI. So you can't really say you're that casual. I looked at this and said, take that. What? That is such a random thing. How is that even a mechanism that they've added to this? And you both knew the answer, like what that meant to a level that you could explain it in two completely different ways that both matched up with what board game geek classifies it as. So that is why I am casual, and you guys are more serious.
1: Well, Sarah, that's that's why I had to push my glasses up right before I described what the you know what take that was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, all right. What <laughs> what other what other work replacements are we talking about?
1: I think I know one that we all love very dearly: Champions of Midgard. Absolutely. Um, yes, it, it's so good. Uh, just the idea that. You, you have a very good worker placement game just outright. There's a lot of great stuff, but it's all about trying to build up resources to go fight monsters, which then, even if everything just goes to shit with that, there's not really a lot of downside, especially with the newer expansions where, you know, you guys basically go to Valhalla and now they come back, you know, with crazy powers and stuff like that. So it's a game that just finds the right balance of, you know, having... Enough, uh, enough uh, of a problem to chew on in terms of what workers you put where. And then also the excitement of getting to just throw some dice and kill some monsters. Uh, it, it just, it, it scratches a lot of great itches and it doesn't overdo it. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It's not a super long game overall. Thematically, it makes a lot of sense and people just love seeing the monsters and the dragons and getting to take them out. I mean, I it, it has a really, you know, it's got a decent amount of board presence, although I'm surprised they made the little meat cubes rather than just there's little meat pieces now, guys. Like just <laughs> it's it's a, such a standard piece now. It annoy I don't know why that annoys me, but little red meat cubes, especially for a colorblind person. There's green and red cubes. They could have made uh, little meat pieces. I'm salty yeah. about it, all right? And not salty they got meat.
0: A, you know what? Here's an idea for board games. Let's make a colorblind edition that doesn't have red and green, like Think about those types of things.
1: Oh, I, got, I have a whole diatribe that I am ready to go down on an episode about just like things that board game designers continue to fail at, like in modern times that make no sense for you to fail. There are so many new games that come out that are just not colorblind friendly. And their their market is men. Like it just that's just the way it is for the most part. Like luckily there's a lot more women getting into board games now, but like a, a large subsection of that is men, and a large, you know, subset of the population is colorblind. And yes. there's common complaints on the forums all the time about like I can't visually follow what is happening in this game, and it's not like there's not solutions to this problem that have yeah. been made by many games.
2: That is why, before I make fun of Kim for a bad tactical decision in any game, I will first clarify that it wasn't because of his (laughs) colorblindness. And then I will make fun of him for his bad tactical decision. But.
0: Yeah. I want
1: you to remember the hate crimes that were just mentioned here today. Thank
0: you. (laughs) I mean, okay, so what I'm hearing is Ken's ableist. (laughs) No. I I simply said the opposite.
2: I will make sure that it was not because of his colorblindness before making fun of his bad tactical decisions.
0: Okay. All right, I rescind my ableist accusation.
1: Yeah, he's just an idiot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's just a bully.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, because I... they're an idiot, a hate crime is that a hate crime?
0: <laughs> you know, so I do think like another aspect of Champions of Midgard that's kind of fun is that you've got like the troll problem, right? So somebody's oh, got to kill the troll. So mm-hmm. it, it's not a co op game necessarily, but there yep. is. A a Of this group, someone's got to kill this troll every turn. So I like that there's still some kind of like working togetherness of it.
1: And it's small, but like, oh, it just, it adds so much to the game. Like, even though it's it's, it's such a minor part, but it's minor, but it's not, you know, because like, you're always thinking about it. You're always, it always, it's just another spot that you're like, no, wait, I'll wait. Maybe somebody else will take it. And you get to say troll toll like in a game. And that's just that's just an extra bonus.
0: Who doesn't okay. love saying who's going to pay the troll toll, you know? Mhm.
2: I think you classified uh, Beyond the Sun as a engine builder and it's that as well as a worker placement, but I would say after Dune Imperium, Beyond the Sun is probably my favorite worker placement game. So yeah. tell me
0: about this game cuz I don't I'm not I'm not familiar with that.
2: So Beyond the Sun is both in its favor and to its detriment, best described as a game in which you develop a tech tree.
1: Sarah, I swear you played this with us. I'm pretty I'm, sure you played it with us. this is
0: I'm the looking it rare. up to see if i if I'm imagine the most watching. the most
1: bland boring board that you can imagine.
2: this no. That is entirely unfair. This is a board <laughs> that lays out for you a tech tree where there are dependencies between tech streams. Oh, God. And as, oh. you, as you go through the game, each faction discovers technologies that allow you to do things on the, the fleet and battle board, which I guess you can build some fleets and shoot some stuff if you want to. But what you really want to do is learn new technologies and be able to dedicate your population and your science dice constantly toward expanding the, the technology that your faction has as you grow through eras of, of time here until eventually you unlock some capstone technologies that are really really neat oh yeah, i
0: have absolutely played this game i have <laughs> i knew I'm it i at, knew it i'm looking at pictures of it now and i have absolutely played this game
2: this is the game where many reviews try to shy away from the fact that it is a game where you discover a tech tree. I would have to say that if hearing that you get to explore a tech tree doesn't immediately excite you and make you want to play this game, maybe it's not the right game for you. But it is ah, I think awesome that's underselling it.
1: I, like, I, I made jokes early, but I love this game too. Um, I, I think that there's a lot more going on than that especially since i think that a lot of people undersell the area control aspect to it like i think that that is a huge part of that game that is very minimalized now it doesn't help that it's kind of it is kind of like its own board off to the side a little bit but it massively undervalues how important that board is and so there's a huge area control element and really at the end of the day all this all this tech is really facilitating that board you know, yep. like it is dictating what you can do there, how quickly your ships can move, how quickly you can conquer planets or, or sorry, colonize. We're very nice here. All right. I don't, I don't have any of that ableist, you know, manifest <laughs> destiny mindset. Right? That
0: Ken does. <laughs> yeah. yeah <but laughs> I, it, it's it.
1: really all I'm trying to say is there's a lot of uh, cool mechanics going on there. And the tech tree is like, it is the main part of it. And yes. really it's, it's just making it extra clear that like, yo, this is an engine builder, like really at the end of the day, right? And uh, also what's cool though, it's an engine builder in the sense that you all end up competing for the same technology eventually to where if you both want to use a spot, like once someone has re- researched something and something looks cool, like they may also chase that technology. And then now there's a, there's a, a worker placement position there on that technology to use that spot now. And so you're, you're both competing, you're both deciding like, okay, do I want to go down that tech path? And then once you do that, you now compete over that space. And there's just a very cool dynamic of, of you know, making those decisions about whether you'll unlock a technology so you have that worker spot, how often you think you'll use it, or if you, you want to gamble and maybe go down, you know, another path and unveil a, a new technology that now maybe someone else is going to have to burn some time chasing and you're already going to get your fill of it by that time and there's there's a lot of cool decisions in that game
0: okay if you're a person
2: who spent as many hours digging through the alpha centauri tech tree alpha centauri as i did you need to buy this game this Mm. game will make any tech tree lovers out there just have a five if you like civ five you would love this
0: and you know what if you don't love all of those things but you like little cubes that fit perfectly onto a card that has indents on it for the cubes.
1: Sarah, is this is this where we've gotten you to
0: now? It's a tactile game. I like that tactile part of it. I'm sorry. I mean
1: the d- dual-layered boards are are, you know, mwah, you know, chef's kiss, but I have had know. to
0: look at like 17 images of this game to remind myself of what it is and how we played it.
1: Now, that's because thematically it's not the strongest. Okay. Like you don't, you don't look at it on a table and go, wow, that's a looker, you know, like you just don't.
0: But I do remember having a lot of fun with like moving between the planets because there's like an element of like, you can't move that much. So you've got Mm -hmm. to really like reserve your movement. And Mm -hmm. I remember there being some heated contests for planets, with Alicia specifically, I think.
1: That's right. That wouldn't <laughs> surprise me.
0: So I do I do have fond memories of this game, but my best memory of this game is that the cubes and the little pieces fit onto an indent in the card, and it's very satisfying. Sarah, we're
1: glad that you're here.
2: This is definitely high on my list of games. I would love to get some more plays in on as soon as I can. This is an amazing game, but...
1: And it's even more exciting. There's a cool drafting variant that we haven't played yet, and we also haven't played the uh the asymmetric uh actions yet either. So Oh,
2: I know. <laughs> ah, ah. All right, all right. Okay. I read the rules for games that I'm never going to play. I know. <laughs> so what do you think that means for the games he
1: does play? <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, all right. So let's let's hit up viticulture cuz I feel like that's another one that's like pretty popular thematically very very strong so we're going from one that's like uh thematically not super strong to one that is like you're making wine Mm -hmm. who couldn't love that
1: i think that's probably the biggest draw of this um i mean sometimes you kind of have to give it you know give accolades over for just hitting hitting a theme that really just resonates with people and usually you're playing uh when you're playing board games you're drinking that's just what happens, or at least at my house it does. So, you know, when you're getting to drink a glass of wine while you are making wine, it's pretty sweet. Um, and not to and not to mention, like it got popular for a reason. Like this was probably one of the at least in in the comeuppance of, you know, the the time window that I really started to get into board games, like viticulture came in hot and it has remained pretty hot, you know, since it's come out. Uh it just It's got the right balance of complexity in terms of a worker placement. It's pretty newbie friendly. Um, It's not very difficult to teach. And usually they can, it really helps when you have a theme like this, because it's very easy to explain. You got to age your grapes, you know, or age your wine in order to get, you know, more value. And then you sell that wine to, you know, these people. And that's how you get victory points. Like, I mean, it, it basically spells itself out. Not to mention the kind of neat idea of the seasons and how the different worker placements, you have to really decide how are you going dis- to distribute workers over the seasons? You know, are you going to just front load in spring? Or are you going to kind of wait to fall rolls around? I, I just love thematically, it just makes it, people latch onto that very quickly. And that alone uh, is sometimes a struggle with getting people in the games. So this will always sit highly on my list for that reason.
0: I just like the... Being- if you want to make a rosé, you gotta have some red and you gotta have some white. <laughs> That's my favorite part. We're
1: just basic bitches here, all right. We just we're just combining we're, we're just, just combining colors, all right. It's just we're the just color trying real, right? to
0: make a rosé, okay? That's all rosé all day, all right. No, I'm, I'm not ooh, that person. But... but it remind me
1: also there is a mechanic I really like in viticulture, and that is the Grande Worker. The Grande Worker is ah shit. They took my spot. But you always have a backup plan. You do have one worker that can go anywhere all the time. It doesn't matter if the spot was taken, and that that's kind of a nice feel-good safety net, you know. Like that makes it to where every decision is not as agonizing as it might be in a normal worker placement game. But it still it doesn't trivialize, you know, the game. It it just makes it to where like there's a little less pressure, which is nice, you know. You know that you have reprieve to some degree
0: i'm gonna throw this out there for anyone who's never played it before if you play viticulture and you want to do pretty well invest in infrastructure it sucks but it helps so much (laughs) and that's been your tip of the day (laughs) all right
1: i really want to get viticulture to the table a bit more um i'm also really excited apparently there's a co-op variant that has come out that i haven't had the chance to uh get a hold of um i think it I think it. Had, uh, I think I'm waiting on. There's like a big box that will fit everything in because I have the Tuscany expansion and things like that. But um... wait, so you're
0: saying it's a co-op that makes wine? So is this like a cult? <laughs> like...
1: <laughs> hmm. The, I, we... I might have gotten it confused with just me and my wife make wine in my basement. I'm not sure yet. I might have just been
0: my big dream. But, okay. Uh, yeah,
1: highly recommend Viticulture. Uh, check it out. It's pretty easy to copy, uh, and um, make sure you get the uh, Essential Edition. Although I don't even know if they're selling the other edition anymore. So Viticulture Essential Edition, I should say.
0: All right. Like, let's do. We're we're kind of running a little long, so let's um, talk about any honorable mentions in worker placement.
2: Yeah, I would definitely mention Lords of Wardeep as a very solid game. It. I think it's something like 83 overall on Board Game Geek. It's a very solid worker placement uh, from 2012 that I've played a large number of times and have enjoyed every time. I wouldn't put it as high as the, uh, the other couple I mentioned here for Beyond the Sun and Dune Imperium, but it's definitely a solid worker
1: placement. Uh, in full guilt, most of the uh, titles that we've talked about here we probably own, um, but that probably makes sense. One of them that I don't own, though, uh, that I really enjoyed, uh, my dad actually owns it because he has probably a bigger board game collection than me, is uh, Architects of the West Kingdom. What I really like about this game is the way that it handles your workers. You basically get just an ass load of workers. I think it's like 18 or something like that. I I don't remember the number. But basically, there and there's maybe... 10, 12 spots on the board, and you're allowed to keep putting workers there as much as you want. And every time you put an additional worker there, it in, that's how much of that resource that you get. So if you have one worker there, you get one resource. Once you put a second worker there, now you get two of that resource. And it just you, you can just keep building it up until eventually someone will basically take all of your workers uh, I, I forget the, I forget it's been a little bit since I played it but I, there's like this jail space that you can go to and you can basically take all the workers that are in one location and you put them in jail and that player uh, and each of those players then has to get their meeples back out of jail to then use them again. so it's basically like the more that you put in one spot the more you basically will have to pay later to get them all back out. So there's this really cool like push and pull of kind of how you distribute your workers. Um so I have a lot of uh, good things to say about Architects of the West Kingdom. I think the biggest downside is there is a lot to explain with that game. It is not near as newbie friendly as some of the other worker placements I would say. Um yeah, but that's it's very unique. Game I'd like to try. It's it's really awesome. Um good things to say.
0: My honorable mention for this category is gonna have to be cytosis because you know i'm a pharmacist science science game science you know we're we're making peptides we're taking lipids and making hormones it's so thematically satisfying for me like just
1: it's really great uh
0: it's spot on
1: for for full context Sarah and my wife, Alicia, they're both uh, in pharmacy, so they love the science aspect of things. And so uh, this is a worker placement that I own. It's very lighthearted. Um, but for those who are like science geeks, oh, they will instantly latch onto this game. I mean, as soon as you get to say the word mitochondria, that, that's it. Like they're hmm. they're in full full elation mode. All right. So definitely recommend it. Um, it might, it, it airs on like the simple side of things, but if you're trying to get people to understand how worker placements work, like this is a great game. Um, and then especially if they also, some people are more suckers for themes than others. I consider myself a sucker for theme. So I definitely understand like why cytosis has such a big draw. I mean, we own a copy of it. So, um, I also have good things to say about it.
0: You know, and if you're like seventh grader needs to reinforce their, cellular organelle structure information and knowledge it is actually accurate so
1: <laughs> yeah oh absolutely it's very cool like they yeah. made a huge effort to make it like mechanically correct which is also a really neat detail that i i respect a lot in fact uh the publisher of that i don't remember the name uh but they all their games that they make are like science themed, and they are all they they strive for like making them accurate as well. So, if you think the idea of cytosis is cool, look up the publisher and see if they have other games that might you know fit into you know a similar 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 genre that you might find interesting. I definitely recommend that. Uh, they uh, they have impressed me with cytosis. So,
0: yeah. All right. So we've covered RPGs, social deduction, worker placement. We've still got quite a few to go, so we'll save that for a new episode, maybe episode six, perhaps continuation of this. But we've we've got a ton left. Um, before we go, though, let's let's just do some wrap up. So, let's talk about what's the last game you bought?
1: Ooh, I'm curious, Ken. What have you bought recently? Well, the game that
2: I bought most recently is that I bought a copy of Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion that is Uh addressed to Sarah's house, since she and Morgan have indicated an interest in playing that, and figured that would give us a chance to delve a little more into some of those RPG role-playing type games.
1: Uh-oh.
0: Oh, gosh.
1: I'm tasting the the winds of change here, and uh, it seems like RPGs are somewhere in my future.
0: Oh, goodness. Uh, I'm excited. But... That's going to be awesome. So I, I haven't bought a new board game in a hot minute.
1: Railroad I think Inc?
0: we've, uh, no, we've, we've talked about railroad Inc. I haven't bought anything since railroad Inc. I had to buy railroad Inc. because I played it at Ken's <laughs> house no and it was so fun that I just, it was obviously something that I had to do. And then I obsessively played it for several weeks.
2: I'm going to be interested to see if Kim is going to rate the Game he bought most recently based on what he received most recently
1: or when he paid for most recently? <laughs> I mean, it is a valid question.
0: What um, Kickstarter are you funding, Tim?
1: I actually, no, in full, I, I have not actually bought any games uh, since uh, I think it's been four to six months. Now, <laughs> I have received another game in the mail uh, a few days ago. Uh, it was uh, Life uh, life in the Amazonia, which I am really excited to play. You want to talk about a totes adorbs game, Sarah? You are going to want to play this game.
0: I it mean, the name adorable. makes me want to play it. I definitely want to. It
1: has a, it's got a giant parrot on the front. There's cute little frogs in it, like little, little frog meeples with like, it, it's adorable. You oh. are going to lose your shit. Okay. So. I uh, I'm, I think we might actually play it this Sunday because I am also itching to play it.
0: Um, well, I will look forward to that because that sounds adorable and, you know, I'm a sucker for theme.
1: And there's a giant waterfall in it. I mean, how cool is that?
2: This is really pretty. I'm looking at the Kickstarter now and it is gorgeous. Wow.
1: Yep, and I got the decked out version, Ken. So it, whatever fancy things you see in there, I've got it, okay? It barely fit in the stupid box, but I've got it.
0: (laughs) Wow. We're going to have to have a whole episode where we talk about all of Tim's board game accoutrement that he either upgraded or bought from Etsy.
1: (laughs) And well, you know, I'm also, I'm going to get my dad on this podcast and because he's got a bigger collection than me. Like I I talked to him uh, a couple days ago and he was just texting me, oh, you know, the... I forget what it was. <sighs> One of the companies that always has board game sales all the time. Uh he basically had like another like three or four games that he bought from it. And just like he already has a closet where the poor shelf is just caving in on itself from all the just massive games that are on it. And yeah, my collection, you know, it's it's good. His is like huge. So has he always been into
2: board games and playing things in the collection from your childhood? Or is this a more
1: recent thing for him? So I think it actually, um, it, it might have stemmed some from when we were kids and we played uh, the Pokemon card game together, which I have extremely fond memories of. Um, we basically have every Pokemon card from like base set up to like the, probably the first 10 to 12 sets. We have the, a binder of the complete set of cards um, and we still have it to this day. It's probably worth a crazy amount of money. Yeah. Um, and we just, you know, it's, we keep it because it's fond memories. And, um, and I think from there, like just one day, I like brought a board game over. I'm trying to remember what it was. It might have been Scythe. It was either, I, I think it was Scythe. Um, oh, wait, no. I remember now. It was Catan. I brought Catan over and mm. it was a completely new thing to him and and sure enough in 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 my dad's best fashion, I like go home uh and I'm about four hours away, and he's basically texting me like, "Oh, check out this cool board game, and so he's like looked up like terraforming Mars and Scythe, and he's like telling me how he's gonna buy them basically, so like I, it was just I think I got him hooked, and now he's you know he's just as big into it as I am, I would say, so we I definitely gosh. want to get him on the show Make at some a point here as I guess
2: at some point yes
0: also huge shout out to tim's dad who builds incredible board game tables like master carpenter over here false top table felt interior lighting Mm -hmm. cup holders tim's table for playing games is legit and his dad straight up made it which is like blows my mind so impressive
2: i did not know your dad made that table that is an amazing table
0: yeah
1: uh I've tried to convince him to uh, maybe he should just do that. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> like unfortunately there's a lot of people who are making, you know, board game tables now. Um and probably a lot more affordable than, you know, cuz my dad made that like out of oak. So like a wanted it to kind of correspond. I also this giant desk that I'm sitting at is, you know, a huge one that he built for me when, you know, I was like moving out and he wanted like kind of like a nice gift to make me. Um so he He's used to kind of making stuff with with wood um, and he adores antiques, so that's kind of where that comes from. Um, so I've seen a lot sure. of
2: board game tables, Tim and, and the one you have is absolutely top notch. Oh the yeah, he did an amazing job.
1: That, it is a gorgeous table. Yeah, he did an amazing job. Um, so uh, Dad, when you're listening to this, uh, you know, just quit your job and just go make some tables.
0: No, as a person who does lots of crafty things and like sewing and the worst thing you could tell to someone who hobby makes things for people he loves is you should sell these. You get so attached to it. You put so much of your heart into it and then yeah, someone's going to lowball you. you. No.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I hear you. I mean, if you get big enough, though, the lowballing just stops. Like you're just like, this is the price. I mean, that's that's a furniture level kind of thing that he's making there. If
0: he
2: wants to do it, we can absolutely stick some of his uh, ads on here and get business for that if we ever get listeners. All right, Dad. Free
1: sponsorship. We've accidentally plugged you for a thing that you don't actually really sell. So uh, (laughs) do with that what you will.
0: Free sponsorship if you want it, but also if you don't want it as a fellow craft person. (laughs) No, what you do is not... Not crafting. That's like craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. But as a fellow craftsman, I support yeah. not pursuing that too.
2: For, for all the listeners out there, we will not pass along your contact information. If you <laughs> <do that>. sorry, <laughs> unless you're willing not to yet. not
0: lowball. Yeah, yeah. yeah unless you're willing yet. to all not right. lowball at all. Okay. All right. We're gonna we're gonna call it a night. Um, thank you again for joining us for our episode of the board game Triangle the most fun podcast where you can go to get lost in games and we'll Mm -hmm. see you next time. We'll talk more about different uh, categories, games we like in different categories.
1: I like it.
2: See you guys. Bye everyone. Bye.